<laughs> right, the date is such that all good Christians are getting ready for Christmas. And so what we're going to do between now and Christmas is we're going to look at the Christmas story in the Bible. We're going to do the nativity. And, uh, you know, like, like the whole lot. Um, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to, amongst other things, put the chronology of it all together, the order in which it all happens, which is fairly simple to do. I mean, some is in Luke and some is in Matthew, and they tell different bits of it. So what we're going to do is hop between them. And, you know, we're going to meander through it, as, as it were, mainly getting the story, um, you know, but, but, but here and there, there are one or two little points that, um, you know, are sort of like, you know, fun to note, and, you know, and there's quite a lot to be learned from it. And, uh, but we're very much going to meander, and there'll be a lot of reading so, um, you know, grab your Bibles and um, we'll begin at the very beginning. And uh, if you find Luke chapter 1, now, now each time we're going to be in Luke and Matthew dotting about between the two. <coughs> and uh, so if you find Luke cha chapter 1, We'll start reading from verse 5 and, you know, perhaps, um, perhaps this is the place to perhaps just, just you know, get, get the whole thing motoring with a Christmas joke. Did you know that Father Christmas was Irish? He is. There's a front door and a back door and he comes down the chimney. <laughs> so there you are. That's the, the Christmas joke for this year. Apologies to any Irish brethren. Right, okay, well, we're going to... Um, read initially from uh, verse 5 right the way through to 25. We're going to take each section and uh, so I'll sort of like, you know, read it and then we'll just meander through it afterwards. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Now, the thing about Zechariah there, being uh, in the division of Abijah, the priests at this time and for some time before had been broken down into various divisions, a bit like armies, and, and he was in Abijah's. So we've got Zechariah, the priest, and his wife, Elizabeth. And um, so there, she was a descendant of, of Aaron as well as, as him. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well on in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. So, so kind of like it's his shift, okay, and it's fallen to him by lot to be right on, on the inside and all the people are, you know, outside, you know, waiting to see if the sacrifice is going to be accepted, blah, 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 so they're all outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, 
he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well on in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months, remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. So what we've got here is the um, announcement or the annunciation, if you want the religious and theological word from the Latin, um, of the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, uh, of course, Elizabeth and Mary were related, although the Bible doesn't tell us how. So John the Baptist and Jesus were related as well. And, of course, the point was that John the Baptist was going to be the one whose preaching would uh, come before Jesus and, and announce Jesus to the world as being the Messiah. And uh, so here, firstly, we get his story. And, uh, you know, his birth comes first. He was six months older than Jesus, so he was conceived six months before uh, uh, Mary conceived Jesus. And of course, at all points, John the Baptist precedes Jesus because he's the one who came to, um, you know, prepare the way for Jesus. Now, let's just, just note certain things about Zechariah and Elizabeth, to whom this happens. Um, first of all, it says that they were both upright believers. Um, actually, we can, you know, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. 
which doesn't mean they were sinless. Of course, they weren't sinless. Yeah, I mean, the point is that in the Bible, if you know, if you're following the Lord, if you confess your sins, you're forgiven. You know, so I mean, it's not talking about their sinlessness here, um, because they weren't sinless. They were sinners the same as we are. But the point was that here they were upright believers. I mean, they they followed the Lord. So here was a husband and wife who were fully committed to the Lord, and uh, and Zechariah was uh, serving as a priest. Now, something very wonderful was about to happen to them. They didn't know it. They, they had no, you know, this particular morning when they woke up, they didn't think, oh, I wonder if the angel Gabriel is going to visit me and tell me blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just an ordinary day, all right? But the thing is, something absolutely superb is going to happen to them. The desires of their heart is going to be absolutely fulfilled. But for them, it was just an ordinary day. And what were they doing? They were getting on with serving the Lord. All right? The daily round. Whatever it means for us individually, and it's different for each person here, whatever it means for us to be serving the Lord in the daily round, that is what mattered. And that as Zechariah was getting on with this, and Elizabeth serving the Lord however she was at home, doing the ironing or whatever, you know, perhaps gossiping the gospel to the neighbours, whatever. But the point was that the, the supernatural suddenly just happened to them. Something absolutely amazing came out of the blue. But it was in the midst of the daily round. And, and that's important, you know, with kind of anything supernatural or miraculous. Understanding that any time that the Lord wants to break through in our lives in that way, it's going to be with us carrying about our daily duty. And uh, so it's no use, as often we're tempted to do, to be thinking, well, you know, there's a miracle that I need to happen. How can I serve the Lord until it's happened? There's a situation here that I need deliverance from. How can I serve the Lord until that miracle of deliverance has happened? It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that at all. The important thing, regardless of what we need, regardless of what we're praying for, regardless of what God has promised us that, that, that's for the future, be that future in 10 minutes' time or in 10 years' time, the important thing is that here and now, regardless of what prayers may or may not have been answered, that we serve the Lord. And of course, when it comes to miracles as well, I mean, I've often outlined this, you know, the whole thing about the supernatural. There's that old phrase that if we, if we take care of the pennies, then the pounds will take care of themselves. And the thing with miracles and signs and wonders, angels appearing, telling husbands that their barren wives are going to have children, there's really not a lot you can do to make that happen. That, that there's a real sense in which that is out of our control. I mean, we're going to see, as we go through this, that there were bits and pieces that they did to contribute towards it happening. But the point is, when push comes to shove, how do you make supernatural things happen? Well, the answer is you can't. Only God can. I can't. Only God can. So the pounds, they're not down to us. But the pennies are. And the principle here is, that whereas there's not a lot you can do about working miracles and bringing the supernatural to bear, there's an awful lot we can do about serving God in the daily round. And can you see the point? Zechariah and Elizabeth were getting on with serving the Lord. They were being faithful to what they did know. 
They were being faithful to what God had done in them thus far. And because of that, now the Lord kind of goes up a gear and now something absolutely amazing happens to them. And what happens to them is the fact that they were elderly, but also Elizabeth was barren. She had never had children. And so, therefore, some kind of miracle is here going to happen. Biologically, neither of them could have children, but now they were going to become parents. So, if we take care of what's possible in our Christian life, and even think of all those areas in life where at the moment it's defeat after defeat after defeat, and we need God to intervene, because sometimes, you know, miracles aren't just about healing and, and, and direct supernatural intervention in that sense, but miracles are also to do with overcoming sin, all right? That needs a miracle, so at the end of the day, we don't overcome sin, the Lord does it in us. We've got all these areas in our lives where we can see this area in me, I'm still defeated, that area, I'm still defeated, oh Lord, I need you to work, I need you to work, and that's fine, he will, but... We've also got the areas where once we were defeated by sin, but now we have the grace to be free. Now, we've got to be living out that freedom where we do have grace, can you see? And then, when we're being faithful to the deliverance from sin that God has given us thus far, then that is the diving board off of which he proceeds to deliver us from the sins that we're still in bondage to. So all the time, this principle, take care of what you can do, what is possible is down to us. And if we're doing our bit in that department, then God will do his bit in the impossible department. But notice as well that the angel said to him, your prayer has been heard. Now, this, this is so obvious, it hardly needs stating, but it's important. Gabriel is saying to them, you're going to have a child. And he says, your prayer has been heard. Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying. Now, there is a, con a, a contributory factor in this. There is a direct connection between the fact that God is going to work a miracle in the two of them and the fact that they have been praying, and probably for years and years and years that that miracle would eventually happen. Now, can you see that? sort of thing. It came out of the blue in the sense there was nothing they could do to make it happen, they were just carrying on following the Lord day by day, but they had been praying, and doubtless for years, because they were elderly, and I expect they had been praying for children from the time they were married, which might have been 40 years, 50 years before this. And so the angel says, your prayer has been answered. So, so it's worth praying, isn't it? I mean, it, it, you know, it's so obvious that sometimes we can miss this. There is a connection. God is doing this for them because they have been praying for it. And that's the same with us. Let's not be discouraged about miracles that we pray for, even things that maybe we pray for for years and years and years. There is a connection between prayer and things happening. And there are many things as well that if they... If, if they're not prayed for, they won't happen. I mean, yeah, there are other things that, you know, God's going to do it, do them whether people pray or not, but there are many things in regards to our lives where the Lord wants us to be praying. Remember in James, he wrote to, to people and he said, you have not because you ask not. It's so obvious. 
There are things that we need to be praying for. And here, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth are getting their prayer answered. And, uh, and the other thing to notice about this particular prayer is that it's a real it's sort of desires of your heart prayer, isn't it? Because this wasn't, you know, sort of like, you know, like praying for their next door neighbour to be converted, however worthy that prayer is. This isn't a prayer that is going to benefit anyone else. This is a purely personal prayer. It was the desires of their own heart. Now, can you see that? It was what they personally wanted more than anything else. And isn't it easy to think, well, if I, if I pray for things concerning others, and it's absolutely right that we do this, we need to do it more. It's one thing to believe that God will respond to intercessory prayer for others, but very often the sticking point is that we don't believe that God would ever answer a purely personal prayer just because it's something that we want. You know, and it's very, I mean, yeah, on the other hand, there are believers who virtually, they only pray for what they want. I mean, I, I have no brief for that. That is wrong. But the point is that Satan can often get us thinking that to just be praying for something that's important to us is wrong, that it's by definition selfish, you know, that God is cross with you if you do that. He's not. He's not. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's nothing wrong with praying for the desires of your heart, whatever those desires are. And that is what Zechariah and Elizabeth have been doing here. They longed for children. And they have been praying all these years that the barrenness would end and that they would have a child. And now they're going to get one. So that's absolutely incredible. And, uh, you know, and says as well, that he, i.e. the child John, will be a joy and delight to you. That's what the angel says. The prime reason, now one could say, why did God answer their prayer? And there are loads and loads of different answers to that. You know, not least of all, the actual ministry that John the Baptist was going to have. But foremost, in the Lord's mind, when he answered this prayer to give them a son, was that they wanted one. See? I remember, you know, in the years of being single, longing for a wife. Um, you know, one of the things that I had to struggle with was, was, was sort of like, you know, in my mind to justify having a wife. Until eventually the Lord got through to me how silly that was. He wanted to give me a wife just to make me happy. There was no other reason needed, although many blessings have come for other people as well, that the Lord brought Belinda along to me. But more than anything else, he wanted me to be blessed. And he wanted her to be blessed. I think she's been blessed being married to me. I don't know, you'd have to ask her. But can you see, this was just the Lord wanting to give them what they wanted because it would make them happy. Remember, God is our Father. If you ask him for a fish, he won't give you a stone or a serpent or something like that. The Lord longs, he wants to give his children good things. That's you and I. And then the angel goes on to say that uh, when, when John was born, or, or the angel tells him, you ought to call him John, which would have been unusual because normally, you, you know, the son would have been named after the Jewish father or a name of, you know, someone in the family. But the angel said, no, you're, you're to actually call him John, which means the Lord is gracious. 
because that's what this is, the sheer grace of God to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, uh, but, but he's to be a Nazarite. So that what you've got here is that from birth he was never, you know, sort of never to, you know, to drink. And, and also because this is the Nazarite vow, obviously, you know, he'd have had long hair as well. But, uh, you know, sort of here, John the Baptist was destined at the Lord's leading to his parents to be a lifelong Nazarite, set apart for God in a special kind of a way. And it's uh, interesting that two other um, Nazarites in the Bible who were lifelong were Samson and Samuel in the Old Testament. And uh, both of them were born of parents where their mother was barren. They were all miracle babies. Now, the thing is that you were quite free in the Old Testament as a Jew to take a voluntary vow of being a Nazarite. So it could be for a certain period of time. But John the Baptist, Samuel and Samson were lifelong. I mean, it was the whole time. But the reason they were different is that they were all miracle babies who were born specifically to this purpose i.e. their parents from the word go had committed them to the Lord in a special way. And uh, again, it's often something that I've said, that when, when God wants a job done, he makes a baby born. Most powerfully in the birth of Jesus himself when we get there. But when God wants a job done, he makes a baby born. And that meant that Gary's got a job to do, Andy, Lee, me, Robert. Belinda, Sue. We were born because God's got work for us to do. That's, that's wonderful, God's purpose for each of our lives. And um, also, he's told as well that uh, he, he would go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, this, this fulfilled the prophecy, if we can just read it, if you go back into Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, but just um, have a look at a particular prophecy there concerning Elijah. And this is literally the last couple of verses in the Old Testament. Malachi 4, and uh, read from verse 5. And the Lord says to Israel through, Mar through Malachi, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, we have here in the Old Testament a prophecy that before the kingdom is fully established, Elijah would come return to Israel and be the means of Israel as a nation coming to know the Lord, which is what turning the hearts of the children to the fathers, blah, 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 is all about. So we've got a prophecy in the Old Testament that before the kingdom is established, as a precursor to the kingdom being established, Elijah would appear. And yet here, the angel says to Gabriel that John, this child that they're going to have, is going to be in the spirit and power of Elijah. And in fact, as you well know, in the Gospels later on, in the preaching of Jesus himself, he did actually say that John was Elijah. 
I mean, this, this gave way to various rumours of people wondering whether John the Baptist was, uh, you know, sort of like um, Elijah come back to life or something. And of course, it wasn't that at all. And, uh, but what you've got here, the reason why the Bible and Jesus himself likened John the Baptist to Elijah, is that, of course, with the coming of Jesus, with the coming of Messiah, with the coming of God himself in human form to Israel, his own people, had Israel received Jesus and accepted who he was, then the kingdom would have been established 2,000 years ago. Simple as that. The kingdom could have been established 2,000 years ago. But of course, God in his foreknowledge, because he knows everything, knew that Israel would reject Jesus. And because they rejected him, the kingdom has been actually postponed by the length of time of the church age, however long that is. Israel was kind of cut out, the church grafted in to take Israel's place. Now, in the future, the church is going to be taken, the church age will come to an end. In the Great Tribulation, you've got the beginning of the age of Israel again. And in the lead-up, all the difficulties with the Antichrist and the persecution, eventually Israel will receive Jesus as their saviour and the kingdom, via the second coming, will be established. And of course, in the Great Tribulation, you've got the two witnesses in Jerusalem preaching, one of whom is Moses, the other of whom is Elijah. So Malachi is going to be fulfilled in the future. So why is John the Baptist called Elijah, or likened to Elijah? Well, the reason is that although Israel as a nation rejected Jesus, individual Jews accepted him as their saviour. Now then, the kingdom of God manifests itself in two ways. Eventually, the literal kingdom of God will be established on the earth. Jesus will rule the earth from Jerusalem. And that is the kingdom of God that comes with signs and wonders that Jesus speaks about. But in the meantime, during the church age, the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, is neither low here nor low there. The kingdom is among you. And of course it's the point that even though the kingdom of God is not yet established on the earth and wasn't going to be at this point because God knew that Israel was going to reject him, all right, the point was that the kingdom would be established in the heart and life of any Israelite who received Jesus as their saviour. And because John the Baptist was the one whose preaching introduced Jesus to Israel, then for any Jew who accepted Jesus and was saved, and in whose heart the kingdom of God came, then John the Baptist would be as Elijah to them. And that was the reason why John the Baptist is said in the Bible to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. It was because the kingdom, although not going to be fulfilled literally on earth at that time, that's for the future, and Elijah will come in the second half of the great a tribulation. But the point was, John the Baptist was Elijah to any Jew who individually received Jesus as their saviour, and in whose heart the kingdom of God was established. And um, of course, also, if you uh, go to Isaiah 20, the other prophecy being fulfilled, um, as the, the angel sort of mentions about the fact that uh, he would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
we have obviously the fulfillment of Isaiah 40 um, and verses 3 to 5. When we read this, a voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And of course we know from um, what, uh, what John himself said, that he was the fulfilment of the prophecy here. That he was the one who was going to prepare Israel for the coming of the Lord, because in Jesus, God was literally living in Israel um, during the time of his life. Right, okay, then, then, then we, we move on to the fact that Zechariah, he, he goes and spoils it now, but, but don't we, don't we? And he says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. So here's an angel, this is Gabriel. You know, speaking to him. In the, I mean, there's him, and suddenly, I don't know whether there was a puff of smoke, but nevertheless, one minute he's there on his own, the next minute the Gabriel is standing next to him, telling him all this. And now he, 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 he kind of asks for further proof. Now, now this, is, this is him being silly now, isn't it? I mean, do you remember Gideon? I mean, all the ways that the Lord spoke to him, I mean, all the proof he needed, God himself, Jesus in his pre-existence appears to him personally. And then afterwards, Gideon goes asking for the fleece, further proof. Well, God in his grace let Gideon get away with it. God didn't let Zechariah. Because Zechariah, with the whole Old Testament behind him, had more light than Gideon did. Therefore, more responsibility. So his, his words of unbelief here get a response from God and basically he's doubting it and so what happens is that uh, the angel says right because of you know your unbelief you know because you haven't believed what I've said because you haven't you know got any faith in what I'm saying uh, therefore you're going to be dumb you're going to be unable to speak until what I've told you has come to pass so from this time until John was actually born nine months later um, Zachariah could not speak. He was struck dumb. And uh, I think probably the moral of that little story is basically that if, 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 if you're not going to say something that comes from faith, don't bother to say anything. I, I think probably that is, that is the story. Um, you know, sort of like if you haven't got anything, you know, sort of like a faith and godly, you know, and sort of godly things to say, then, then be quiet. That, that is basically the message here. And, uh, you know, so, so, so basically now um, he, he kind of gets, gets struck dumb and, 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 and he remains, um, you know, sort of silent now for, for, for some time. And uh, so sort of basically after that Elizabeth actually becomes pregnant and then for, for five months uh, she remains um, in seclusion. So, so that, that ends that section. We've seen here the angel Gabriel announcing to Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, that they're going to um, have a child, i.e. John the Baptist. Right, now then the next section uh, carries on in the next verse. So uh, we're still in Luke 1 and now we're going to read from verse 26. 
down to verse 28. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel, this is Gabriel's speciality, announcing miraculous births, this is, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And you see, she was highly favoured because she was a believer, just like you and I. It's nice to know. The Lord highly favours us. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary has no doubts at all. Remember, she's a Jewess. She knows exactly what she's hearing. She's going to give birth to the Messiah. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So again, if she had any doubts now that Messiah was going to be God become a man, these are all cleared up now. Messiah was indeed to be a human incarnation of the Lord God of Israel. Um, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. So there you have John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus because his conception happened six months before. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Now obviously the big difference between this and Zechariah and John the Baptist is that Mary is a virgin. So we have here not just a miraculous birth, but we have a birth unlike any that had ever happened before. Mary was a virgin. God the Father was literally going to be the father of this child. And so here we have the actual announcement of the coming birth of Jesus. And just contrast the faith of Mary to the unbelief of Zechariah, where Mary simply says, may it be to me as you have said. She says, right, okay, no problem. Not kind of, you know, great words of unbelief like Zechariah, give us another sign or, you know, let's, let, let's have a tap dance, Gabriel, on the table or something like that. And, and given that without faith it's impossible to please God, can you see why Mary is so favoured? Such faith, she just takes it on board. God has said it, therefore that's it. And, you know, so, so Mary was left quite free to speak about this. She simply believed that God was going to do what he had promised her. 
And uh, also here, I suppose you've got the imagery and certainly some of the famous carols, um, you know, speak about it, you know, of Jesus being born in our own lives. In the same way that the Holy Spirit came upon her and she gave birth, literally, to the Son of God, in the same way Jesus wants to live through us and through the working of the Holy Spirit and us receiving that by faith, simply saying, Lord, what you've said, may it be in my life. How we can see the life of Jesus born in us, living in obedience to the word of God. Sin shall no longer have power over you. When we say, Lord, may it be unto me according to your word. That's the faith whereby, as Mary gave birth to the Son of God, so we too can give birth to him in the sense of his life coming through us and him being seen in us. That's a, a kind of, um, you know, sort of like a real theme in, in various, uh, you know, sort of Christmas hymns and carols, etc., etc. And the imagery is good. Jesus wants to be born in our lives as well. Right, okay, now we go to Matthew to get the next episode in this little saga. And Matthew chapter 1, and if you find verse 18, because Mary now knows that she's going to be pregnant, but she was engaged to be married, so this was going to affect someone else, wasn't it? So, therefore, we better see what the Lord says to Joseph. So, Matthew 1, chapter uh, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All this was to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet, and this is Isaiah now, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now Joseph knows that this Jesus is going to be Messiah and is going to be God in human form, Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So then, now, presumably it's Gabriel, we're not told, but Gabriel's doing most of the work here, so it's very possibly him, but it appears to Joseph in a dream. And uh, we know that this is a bit later, because by now Mary is pregnant and knows that she is, and he knows she is. And so obviously, given that this could cause certain concerns and confusion, um, you know, sort of like, you know, Joseph is deciding, you know, what, what exactly do I do? And so, you know, the Lord speaks to him and says, no, it's okay, Joseph, this is something that I've done. Now, 
we can learn something about the character of this guy as well. You know, really see that God is really working here through believers who are really faithful, really following him. Because Joseph is at this point before the angel appears to him in the dream. He is confronted with the fact that his fiancée, Mary, is pregnant. Now, the reason it says about, you know, divorcing her quietly is that Israeli betrothed at this point required a divorce. They're not married, but engagement was so binding it took a divorce to break it, you see. So, his fiancée is now pregnant. So, she has been unfaithful, all right? So he knows that she, that he is engaged, or he can only conclude that he is engaged to an unfaithful fornicator. Now, that's the only conclusion he could come to. Now, the point was that we see here, in him wanting to divorce her quietly, so it wouldn't put her to shame. The quality of this man is that he's not concerned at all with himself. He's thinking, what is the best thing for me to do for Mary? So can you imagine, you know, sort of like other people blustering away, I want her judged, I want her, at the very least, really feeling sorry for yourself and outraged at what your, you know, fiancé has supposedly done. But whilst concluding that she'd been unfaithful to him, his only concern was he had to deal with you know, sort of like the whole thing, but he was thinking, how can I do it in the way that is going to be easiest for her? Now, now that, that is called selflessness. <laughs> I mean, that, that really is called love. That really is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is forgiveness really gone a long way down the road, isn't it? You know, that rather than him wanting his pound of flesh because she'd been unfaithful, that's what he thought, all he was doing was thinking of what was the best thing to do for her. And, uh, and yet here, obviously, the angel appears to him in, in, in the dream, and he realises that it's not a question of her being unfaithful at all. Great relief, but I mean, you know, sort of like, this is the kind of husband that women want. <laughs> you know, I mean, the forgiveness, the grace in his heart is absolutely astounding. So he's, he's someone who has been dealt with by the Lord. And, uh, and here he's told that the baby is to be called Jesus, which means, of course, the Lord saves, Saviour. And uh, it fulfills, um, you know, the uh, Isaiah chapter 7 thing about um, the virgin will be with child and uh, give birth. And uh, notice that when he woke up, he immediately did what the angel commanded him. And again, faith equals obedience. I mean, that, that is what faith is. He went ahead and married her. That's what the angel told him to do. That's what he did. He accepted what the angel said. She hasn't been unfaithful. Right, I love her. I'm going to go ahead and marry her. Now then, can you imagine, from this point onwards, can you imagine what Mary and Joseph went through from the wagging tongues of their friends and neighbours? Can you imagine it? Mary knew that she was pregnant as a result of what the Holy Spirit had done. Joseph knew that as well. Do you think anyone else did? And do you think anyone believed them when they told them? The answer to that will be a straight no. My goodness, can you imagine what they went through from this point onwards? And it sort of goes to show that 
very often in following the Lord that the way that the Lord would lead us will maybe look a bit odd to other people. And, and it, it may end us up in situations where we're going to be totally misunderstood, where our good is going to be evil spoken of, as Paul says, and you know, where people are going to have only bad things to say about us because of the way God is leading us. And of course, the great lesson here, and, and Joseph didn't think twice about it, the great lesson is, it doesn't matter what people think. I mean, in any way at all, it doesn't matter what people think. As long as at any one moment, or in regards to any one thing, as long as we're at peace, that we're in God's revealed will, it doesn't matter what other people think about it. And that is so important. Here, it could only look like Mary had been unfaithful. And Joseph went ahead and married her. My goodness, the tongues would have wagged for the rest of their lives. But it was at God's leading, and so they did it. As simple as that. Right, now go to Luke 1 for the next episode. Chronologically. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. So Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary knows that she's pregnant with the Messiah, supernaturally, born of the Holy Spirit. Joseph knows that she is as well. And Zechariah knows it, but isn't saying much. <laughs> right, now Luke, Luke chapter 1. And uh, now we pick up at verse 29. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So now, Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, is going off to see Elizabeth, her relative, we don't know whether it was aunt or what, okay, um, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, only six months ahead of her. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the point was, when Mary walked in, I mean, sort of Jesus is probably only, you know, sort of like, you know, a few weeks old. You know, I mean, we really are talking group of cells at the moment, all right? Uh, John the Baptist, in his mum's womb, is six months old, so he's fairly well developed. And when Mary walks in, John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb. Now, I mean, you know, that... That is just something going on that we can't begin to understand. But such is the working of the Holy Spirit, you know. Amazing. And uh, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And so, you know, here, Liz knows what's going on as well. Oh, Zach and Liz, Zechariah. Elizabeth, they know full well what's happening as well. They know that Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And here she says that, you know, 
Why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So she's saying, this, this fetus in your womb is my Lord. Now then, when, when a Jew refers to their Lord, who are they talking about? The Lord God of Israel. See, they knew exactly what was going on here. And that's amazing. And look what she says here. Of Mary, she says, Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And what she does here, she's saying, Mary, it's because of your faith you have believed that what the Lord says will be accomplished. Now there you've got that response of faith again. Without that response of faith, God can't do anything. Do you remember Jesus in his hometown? They didn't believe and he couldn't work many miracles there because of their lack of faith. The Lord needs faith in us in order to work. And it was because Mary had believed what the Lord had told her through the angel that all this occurred. And, and here she's told that she's blessed because of that, that faith. And in verse 46 down to verse 55, we'll read it now, we get um, this, this song, it's a psalm that Mary kind of either sings or, or says, or it says said here. And uh, it's called the Magnificat in, uh, in, in prayer books and that. Um, let's actually read it, because um, it's amazing. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Now, there's, there's something there that, that, that in the in the Greek and, and all the Hebrew comes out, I'll retranslate it for you. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Jesus. You see? Because that's what Jesus means, Saviour. She knows that this little baby inside her is her God. She knows that. And she's rejoicing in this baby. Marvellous. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now just notice there, she talks about the humble state of her being a servant, that she was humble. She was, there's nothing special about her. She wasn't rich, she wasn't well known. Her and Joseph were, in fact, rather poor. You know, but it's the things that are nothing in the world that God takes to make something of, to shame the things that are. You know, it's, you know God is drawn towards the poor, the meek, the lowly. All right. And, um, but all generations will call me blessed. And Mary is blessed. She, she is such an incredible... Role model, I suppose, is the, you know, the sort of the in phrase for a Christian wife and a woman. She had such faith in the Lord, and indeed, she is blessed. Now, isn't it interesting, Satan's counterfeit, how he's tried to besmirch this. And he does it in two ways, through, through the modernists, through the Bishop of Durham's, through all the radical, you know, theology. It's, it's, it's casting aspersions on the fact that she wasn't a virgin. 
Yeah, because they don't believe in the supernatural conception. So that means that, that that leaves her. If you try and take the supernatural out of it, then you believe that she had been unfaithful to Joseph. So, so Satan besmirches it in that way. But the traditional, historic way that's been going on for a lot longer you know, than that is what the Catholic Church has done with Mary. Elevated her to the Queen of Heaven. And no one would hate that more than Mary. Mary knew her place. You know, the Catholic doctrines developing that Mary was sinless herself and stuff like that. No way. Here, she has been rejoicing in God her Saviour. See? So Mary acknowledges that she's a sinner. And can you see the way that the Catholics have built a doctrine, you know, all around the adoration of, you know, Mary, is, is Satan besmirching, you know, the real example that Mary is, because she is blessed, and there is so much to learn from her. What faith? Absolutely amazing. And then she, she goes on to say, His mercy extends to those who fear Him throughout all generations. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. She certainly has. There she's referring to the whole of the history um, of the Jews, but also she knows what He's done in, in her life, here and now. Then he says, He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Um, other translations uh, come out on that one, that he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And that's beautiful, because of course the point is, and we all know this from our own hearts, what is going on inside our heads when we're giving in to our pride? Aren't we exalted? Aren't we wonderful? Aren't we marvellous? Well, I'm going to tell you, as surely as Father Christmas, that is sheer imagination. And I'm as upset that Father Christmas isn't real as anyone else is here. I'm sorry if you didn't know that. I'm sorry to break that news to you. But as surely as Father Christmas is sheer imagination, when we're dwelling in the pride of our hearts, all those lofty, self-righteous thoughts we have of ourselves, they're as unreal as Father Christmas. They're as unreal as Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. It's a sheer illusion. And God scatters the proud in those imaginations. Because one day, especially when those who are so proud, they say no to the Lord and won't get saved, then their lofty thoughts of themselves is all they're going to have to accompany them in lake of fire. He scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts. That's, that's the danger of pride. You know, we just live in fantasy world. The truth about us, we've got nothing to be proud of. Well, we've got Jesus, we can be proud of him. But our condition is such that we belong at the foot of the cross, not exalting ourselves. Aren't I wonderful? Isn't true. Not in the slightest. And then in verse 52, she goes on, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And of course, that's throughout the Bible, isn't it? That, 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 that you know, God will humble the proud, but the humble he'll lift up. That it's when we're low, it's when we're on our knees that God will exalt us. But, but we can be sure that when we're doing our strutting around, look at me thing, that that pride will certainly come before a fall and then God will get us back on our knees again. You know, even if it's sort of like via flat on our face. And then she says, he has filled the hungry with good things, 
but he sent the rich empty away. Really, you've got an inkling of the Beatitudes here, haven't you? You've got a real inkling of them. The fact if you're empty, God wants to fill you. But if you're full, then God has nothing for you. So what do you want with God? God has mercy for you if you're a sinner. But if you're righteous, what has God got for you? Don't go to the Lord. All he's got is mercy. Righteous people don't need mercy. But that's all the Lord's got. You know, the Lord relates to people who come to him on, on their knees. You know, not, oh, lucky God, you've got me following you now. What's my first assignment? God, God can't do anything with that. That is why after the first flush of conversion, we get our honeymoon period, and it's great. God blesses us all over the place. Right. But then eventually, you know, God comes to the point where he has to show us that it was him, all those blessings, it was him doing it through us. We thought it was us doing it for him, didn't we? We thought it was our personality, our grasp of the scriptures. We, we thought it was our sheer faith, didn't we? <laughs> well, it wasn't. It was the Lord doing it through us, in spite of our immaturity. Because, I mean, God doesn't expect, you know, sort of toddlers to be running. You know, I mean, you know, he knows that, that sub-toddler age groups do things in their nappies and that he has to change their nappies. He's quite accepting of what we get up to when we first get converted, but eventually the time for maturity comes and so he has to show us that we got nothing, absolutely nothing. And so it's only when he's emptied us that he can fill us. And so the Beatitudes, you know, the, you know, sort of like the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with the rest of you, that is. See? Not the strong, the meek. Those who are going to triumph for those who let God fight for them, not those who fight for themselves. And, you know, it's ye that have no money come by. Isaiah 55. It's always that. When you're empty, God will fill you. And then she ends up, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And then, last verse here, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So, evidently, she either returned home just before John was born, because when she went, Elizabeth was six months gone. Mary stays with three months, so she's either gone home just before John is born or just after John is born, okay? But now, as we move into verse 57, and... Um, this is where we're going to leave it tonight, but we're now going to go through the story of the actual birth of John the Baptist. So let's, let's just read, read through this. So again in Luke 1, and just carrying on the next verse, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. So obviously Zechariah mimed this out to her, <laughs> obviously, yeah, because the angel told him that, but she knew as well. And uh, then they said to her, there is no one among your family who has that name. And so they're surprised, but you haven't got any Johns in your family, so, you know. But no problem. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Now, now that's, that's quite, you know, this is a comment on how people relate to people who are deaf, all right, when you start making signs. Because, you know, it rather assumes they're blind as well, doesn't it? 
And I said, they've got used to old Zek, all right, doing hand signals to everyone because he can't speak, all right, he's dumb. But now they're doing hand signals back, but he's not deaf, is he? And, and that's so I got that wrong. I was saying blind and then, but I mean, it's the point, you know, that now they start doing hand, hand signals back to him. Um, he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. So, Zechariah ends it, he's going to be called John. Breaking from tradition here, but then that's a little speciality, as we well know, isn't it? Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. Because it's happened, and so now he's free to speak again. And he began to speak, praising God. The neighbours were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And then, almost in answer to this question, what then is this child going to be? Because the whole neighbourhood knew that something very special was going on here with this little baby. It was a miraculous birth, not a virgin birth, but a miraculous birth, just like Samuel, just like Samson, and these people knew their scriptures, okay, and, uh, and they're saying, what is this child going to be? What is special about this baby? And then, in verse 67, as if to answer this, we read, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So now he gets a prophecy and it answers the question to the people about what is this child going to be. Let's read through it. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Well, what does that refer to? Well, Zechariah knows that Mary is pregnant with Jesus. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That's Mary again. She was of the house of David, not him. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember the holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our foes and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And just pause there. That's what the Lord wants. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's what sanctification is. Jesus being born in us and living through us, it's so that we can serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And why is it without fear? It's because perfect love casts out fear. And I mean, love, holiness and righteousness, they're all, all aspects of the same diamond, you know, just different facets. And then he carries on, and you, my child, and now he's speaking of John, will be called a prophet of the Most High. And the, the, the special place that John has is really he's the last Old Testament prophet, the very last one. You know, sort of like the church age is just about to click in a few years later. He's the last Old Testament guy. You know, sort of like Elijah type figure. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. I he go before Jesus. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now what was the knowledge of salvation 
that John gave the people? Well, it was when he pointed to Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was there to tell the people, Here is your salvation. It's Jesus. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Look at that, the tender mercy of our God. That's why he sent Jesus, because of his tender mercy. That, that's how he feels about us. He looks down and his heart is full of tenderness. And that's why he wanted to save us. It says, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And so there, the coming of Jesus is likened to darkness and a light shining in. And sin and death is darkness, but the coming of Jesus was like the rising sun, and before him the darkness of sin and death goes away, because he overcame sin and he overcame death. And then it reads here, and the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Right, okay, so we leave it there. Next time we move on to see the actual birth of Jesus and the events that surrounded that and came after it.